Well, good morning, church. Hey, before we jump into the message uh, today, I want to report back to you on on our all-in commitment Sunday that we did a couple of weeks ago. And and first of all, the stories that are coming out uh, of the Colossians series have been incredible. And and I've been so encouraged to hear how God has been challenging you and growing you uh, on on this all-in uh, journey, and it's amazing to see so many new people uh, joining us in, in this journey as well. In fact, I want to share with you today, first of all, 360 households representing over 1,500 people made first-time commitments uh, two weeks ago uh, in, in our all-in journey. 1,500 people, which is amazing. The, the majority of these people were not even here when we started all in uh, last fall. And and so it's incredible to see them join us in in year two. And and I also want to share with you that 948 households uh, representing 3,900 people uh, are committing to finish strong in in this all in journey. 3,900 people. And, And then... 150 households made a new commitment representing over 600 uh, people, and and God is so good. And our primary goal since day one uh, of this whole journey has been 100% engagement. And and I don't think we're quite there, but but we're moving in that direction. And and I can't believe how many people he continues to bring along with us on this journey and the spiritual growth uh, coming out of this season, I could have never predicted. And I can't wait to see what God is going to do over this next year and beyond. I also want to share with you that as a result of our new and increased commitments, as well as those who are continuing to finish strong, we now have commitments and expected gifts of over $55 million, which is glorious, 55.6 almost six. Uh, million dollars. And, and church, I just have to say to you, it truly blows me away uh, that uh, th- this is not only going to allow us uh, to do some of the projects here, here at BA and at all, all of the campuses have some sort of a project uh, that we're going to do, but, but to take Haven and our special needs ministry to another level, several items that have not even been on the table uh, as we are walking in this journey that God is going to put on the table. And, and church, I just want to say to you, uh, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for being a people who who declare Jesus above all in your lives. And and that includes uh, your generosity. It it is a privilege to be in this journey with you, uh, to be on this journey with you, and and for us to take one step at a time, watching to see what the Lord will do and where he will lead us. Uh, But but I love pastoring a group of people who are saying, God, whatever the step is uh, next, just show me what it is. Shine the light on it, and and I will take it. Let's pray together. Father, today we give you glory and honor. I thank you for all you're doing in our midst. I thank you for all you're doing in our families and and, and the lives of those who call this place uh, home. And Father, today as we launch into this new series, I pray uh, that you would let the Word of God be not just living and active, but it would pierce us into our hearts. It would show us who we are, who you are, and and Father, that it would do its work in us. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we all say amen. Now, there are three words on any package of any Christmas present for parents, uh, especially those of us who are ADD, that strike fear in our hearts. And and those three words uh, are are these. Some of you can guess what they are. Some assembly required. And and for some of you, like you love it. You love those words. You love taking all the pieces and, and putting them together. Some of you even read the directions 
who are you, right? Like, who, who are you? I, I would look at the picture, but I'm not reading the instruction, right? And, and for the rest of us, those words give us a cold chill. And it's not because we can't put something together. It's because we know from experience that at the end of it, there will be one, two, three, 60 pieces left over that we don't know exactly where they go. And we are too impatient to figure it out, to go figure it out. So we're like, here, play with it. In a few minutes, the kid is like, it's broken. And and, in our lives, I think we're not altogether afraid of the work that goes into it as much as we are worried that there is something missing. There will be something missing or or, or that we just won't fit or there will be parts of us uh, that are broken and no one wants to be broken. But the good news is this, God comes to fix the broken, amen? And Christmas, uh, more than anything else, is about fixing those parts of us that are broken, those parts of us that don't fit, those parts of us that are out of place. And and typically at Christmas, uh, we read Luke chapter 2. It's the traditional uh, Christmas story, and and we all love it. And and with Luke, it's a little complicated. The gospel's a little uncomfortable. Mary and Joseph have to travel, you know, nine months pregnant, all the way uh, to Bethlehem. She has to put the baby in a manger. There's no other room uh, for the baby. And it's a bit confusing. Why are shepherds showing up? But when it comes to drama and Luke, there's only a little, not, not a lot. But if you back up a couple of gospels to Matthew, in fact, you've got your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter one. It's a whole nother story as it relates to drama. You, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're the gospels, right? These are the stories of Jesus Christ. They tell the very same story, but for, from four different perspectives. And, and uh, the always told story at Christmas is about Mary. Today, I want to focus on Joseph. Luke, you know, is told through Mary's perspective. Matthew is told through Joseph's perspective. Matthew starts with all of the genealogy, right? So-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so was the son of or the father of, but begat, begat, begat. Those, and if we're honest, we skip those uh, parts of Scripture because we can't pronounce 90% of the names. But, but all of the begats, right, uh, <clears throat> are to prove that, that Jesus is the son of David and Jesus is the son of Abraham, right? Because every Jew knows that the Messiah has to be related to David and the Messiah has to be related to Abraham. Then we get to verse 18, Matthew chapter 1, and we see that he's not only the son of Abraham, he's not only the son of David, he's also the son of God. In fact, he is God. And Matthew begins with this story about this young woman who is engaged to be married and she ends up pregnant. And she has to tell her fiance that she's pregnant. And it gets really, really, really dramatic. And that's just the start of the story. But before we dive in and talk through this passage verse by verse, I want to take just a moment as, as a kind of a just off on the side, okay, over here in left field for a minute and show you again how I read my Bible. I've gotten so many comments the last few weeks about moments where I show you how I write in my Bible and how I draw in my Bible. And uh, some of you know, some of you don't know. When I was in elementary school, my comprehension was the lowest of maybe anyone in the school. 
And I would read a story, have no idea what I read. I could read, I just couldn't read, right? Like I would read, but I had no idea what I had read. That, that my dad, every day in elementary school, almost first grade through fifth grade, I'm not sure if he paid the teacher, bribed the teacher, guilted the teacher, what, but a teacher stayed with me after school almost every day in elementary school. And I would listen to a tape, a, a story, or, or uh, a record, which would date me, right? Some of you don't even know what a record is. But, but, but we would put this vinyl thing on, it would spin, and it would tell a story. Story, I would listen to the story and then I would have to answer questions about the story after the story. And the truth is I had no idea to any of the answers at the end of the story, but, but I was learning to do it. Now, because of that difficulty and because of that deficit in, in my uh, childhood, uh, reading the Bible became a real chore. Reading the Bible became a real task. And, and so I had to approach it from a different way. And, and quite honestly, the deficit that I had in my life, God has used to help many because I have to read it over and over and over again to understand what it is that God is saying. And so I mark on it and it looks like a beautiful mind. I don't know if you saw that movie, but, but the, the notes in my Bible look like a beautiful mind. I have a beautiful mind is what I'm trying to tell you. And, and so I use mind maps all of the time. And, and when we look at this text, I just want to show you a little bit of this today. The birth of Jesus, the, the Messiah. In fact, let me, let me do this. John, would you come to... Uh, Caleb on our tech team built this switcher for the swiping and the pins and all of that. But because I'm going to switch colors today, it's a little too much for this ADD uh, brain. So I'm going to ask John just to hide behind the TV right there and, and, and control this so that I don't have to switch anything or push any buttons. That's not what I do. I don't push anybody's buttons. So, so the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. Here's what I do in my Bible. I write Christmas. And I, and I would draw some shape around it right here so that the next time I come across this passage, my eyes are drawn to the, the drawing that I drew on the Bible. Christmas. This is about Christmas, okay? <clears throat> this is how Jesus, say Jesus. Jesus. The Messiah, say Messiah, Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, say before. Now that would catch me and that would catch my attention as I'm reading this before, before, before. Now what I saw when I read this a few weeks ago was something new that I hadn't seen before. And here's what I saw. There's a lot of repetition in this passage. When a Bible writer is using repetition under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it is not because they can't think of what else to say. They are trying to make a point. This repetition, repeating himself over and over and over again, there is a point being made. And so you need to call your attention to repetition in Scripture. Now, there's something repeated over and over. Now, this is what I drew in my Bible. Joseph, no. Holy Spirit, yes. You said, you're kidding me. That's what's in the PhD's Bible. It, it is. And this is what I wrote in it. Joseph, no. Joseph is not the father. This is clear in repetition and in repetitive form over and over and over in the Bible. Who is? The Holy Spirit. So this is the list I have. I'm going to show you how I make the list, okay? So, so let's just walk through it. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. Now watch this. See, I have them numbered. One list is in red, one list is in green, okay? Red means no, green means yes. Are you following the, the simple preacher? And, and, and it's Christmas also, so we use green and red, all right? For those of you who are thematic, I'm into themes. But before the marriage took place while she was still a virgin, that's number one in my list of Joseph no. Why? This is before the marriage took place and she's still a virgin. Okay, now look at number one in Holy Spirit. If it's not Joseph, who is it? Matthew tells us. 
she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Say Holy Spirit. Spirit. Now let's keep reading. Next verse, okay? Joseph, to whom she was engaged, watch this, this is number two, was a righteous man. What does that mean? It's not him. He's not involved in premarital sex. He's not involved in premarital pregnancy. He is a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break off the engagement quietly. Now, let's keep reading. As he considered this, that's Joseph, an angel of the Lord. Now we have angelic beings coming to to be a part of this presentation and a part of this story. Appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. That's red. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Why? This is not your sin and it's not her sin. In fact, there is no sin involved in this. Joseph, you're not the daddy, right? Who, Who is? For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Say Holy Spirit. Do you see the repetition? Matthew wants us to see this over and over and over again. Keep reading, keep reading. And she will have a son and you are to name him, say it. Jesus. Jesus. What does Jesus mean? Jesus is the name Yahweh saves. What does that mean? That means this baby is Yahweh. He's from Yahweh. This is, he saves. In fact, he tells us that for he will save his people from their sins. This is the Holy Spirit. God is involved in this thing. Let, let, let's keep reading. Uh, for all of this, all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Now we're not just having angels and heavenly beings. Now we have earthly beings of God, right? Prophets, prophets who are telling the story. Isaiah is the one telling this story, by the way. He's the prophet. Isaiah chapter 7 for inquiring minds. Now, let's keep going. Look, the child will conceive, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. Let's keep going. But he did not have sexual relationships with her. There we go. He did not have sexual relations with her until the son was born. It's not Joseph. Matthew wants us to understand this is not Joseph. It is the Holy Spirit. And Joseph named him Jesus. Now, if you will, let's go to the list and let me show you what ended up in the margin, okay, of my Bible. Not Joseph. Why? Before the marriage took place while she was still a virgin. A righteous man. The angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. He did not have sexual relationships with her until after the baby was born. Well, if it's not Joseph, who is it? Holy Spirit, yes. She became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Jesus, Yahweh, saves. Let's put an S on that for the next hour. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet, 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 prophet. So so do you see what's playing out in the Scripture? Matthew is repeating himself over and over and over for us to get this message. The story, according to Matthew, is not really about a virgin birth. It's about a virgin conception. That's the miracle in this whole thing, right? The birth, quite honestly, is very natural. Now, we're not going to talk about that today to save you all of those details. The birth was very natural. It was the conception that is miraculous. And the Holy Spirit is the one involved in this. Now, let's back up and and let's run uh, through this. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. Give John a hand. And Caleb for building the contraption that allowed us to do. These people are brilliant. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before, say before, 
The marriage took place while she was still a virgin. She became pregnant. How? Through the power of the, say it, Holy Spirit. Now that last part, you should underline that in your Bible. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. There is a lot of power in that statement. And clearly, as we have said already, that's the key. That's the important part. It makes all the difference in the world, not just because it tells us that Mary did not cheat on Joseph, but, but, but because that's how we know Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus is, in fact, God. Jesus was not conceived, uh, some person conceived by conventional means. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He, he wasn't a kid who, who was born like any other kid. And then God in a lineup of kids said, I choose that one. That, that's not how it played out. In fact, Mary was chosen long before she was pregnant. The Bible says it this way. This was God's plan from the very beginning. For the Holy Spirit to conceive within Mary the Messiah and to birth the person who is both fully God and fully man. And only then could he become the great high priest who lived a sinless life, who died a substitutionary death and served as the first fruit of the resurrection. And it all hinges on this miraculous conception. Let's keep reading verse uh, 19. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man. He did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break off the engagement quietly. There is a lot going on in this verse. And you may not see it. And so what I want to do is give you some details about what's going on here. And it's not because I understand ancient marriages or, or, or Middle Eastern marriages. I, I've just read up on it a little bit. But because I thought this was a very simple passage, and later I realized, nope, it's not simple a- at all. So for some context, what, what would happen today? If your daughter comes home and says, Mom and Dad, your unmarried daughter comes home and says, Mom and Dad, I- I'm pregnant. Or your son comes home, your unmarried son comes home and says, mom and dad, that girl that, that I'm dating, well, she's pregnant. First of all, shock, right? You, you, you would be shocked. It would be tough. I'm not going to lie. I've sat with many families in this situation, right? But it's not the end of the world. And some of you going through that, you've been through that. You, you, you've walked through that. And it wasn't the end of the world. In fact, God turned it into a blessing. And that baby has been a blessing in your home and in your family. But back in Joseph's day, this was the end for this to play out. Because first of all, you cannot hide it. This, by the way, was the one sin you could not hide, right? Premarital pregnancy. You could hide adultery. You could hide fornication. You could hide everything else. You could not hide premarital pregnancy. You couldn't elope and hope that Mary had a longer than normal pregnancy and some people couldn't figure out the math. That was not possible in that day. Engagements were drawn out back then. There was no hiding it. You could not cover this up. But second, to be pregnant out of wedlock back then equaled major shame. Not just shame for the girl, but shame for her whole family. It was a financial catastrophe for them as well. And and for Joseph, there was added shame for him as well. Listen, he would be expected to divorce her. You say divorce her, they're just engaged. It was very serious in that day. An engagement was like a marriage. And the only way you could break off an engagement was to be given an official divorce. Engagement was like marriage. And if you got a divorce to break it off, listen to me, the consequences were you could never, ever marry again the rest of your life. 
And, and by the way, this still plays out across the Middle East. Like it, it, the, the Middle East, the church in the Middle East is the one who steps in in moments like that and helps families. Uh, TC Egypt, we're involved in helping some uh, women who, uh, whose husbands have been converted to Islam because Islam offered a job and said, if you'll take this job, you have to convert. And, and so the husband converts and the husband then wants the wife to convert and the, the Christian wife will not convert. And she has to leave the home. Why? Because it's legal for her to be killed. And so now the church has to find a place to house her and, and to uh, teach her a, a trade and to financially help her in the journey and, and to keep her away so that she can be protected. They understand this. Listen, the uh, wedding is such a big deal. Even a poor family, the church is expected to step in and help them have a big wedding. Why? Because it would be shameful not to have a big wedding for your daughter, even if you don't have any funds to do it with. If a man or a woman is cheated on and the partner leaves, the church steps in and financially helps them and houses them. They understand the Bible through an Eastern lens, not a Western lens. And the Bible was written through an Eastern lens, which is why I, 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 one of the many reasons I want to take you to the Middle East is so that you can learn to look at the Bible through an Eastern lens, because you cannot understand the Bible through a Western lens, because it was not written through a Western lens. And so all of this is going on, broken promises, broken engagements, broken dreams, broken hearts. For Joseph, everything is broken right now. His whole life is turned upside down. He has no idea what to do because the rule of the day was if your fiance cheats on you, it is your obligation to make it public. It was your role to publicly shame her, uh, which would ruin her financially. By the way, that's the whole reason for a dowry. The, the, the reason for a dowry in that scenario is if, is if this marriage dissolves, if this happens, the woman had no way to ever have any funds in her life. So her dad would set her up with a dowry on the front end. And so Joseph said, I won't do that. I'm not going to put shame on her. So he decided to break off the engagement quietly. Joseph said, my heart is broken, but the brokenness ends here. He, he was going to break it off quietly. No public shame, no financial ruin for her. He wasn't going to get his revenge because he was, the Bible says, righteous, right with God. He had a right to do this. He was in the right according to the law, according to society. He could have put it all on her shoulders, but instead he said, I'm going to take this on my back. And I've always wondered, all the times I've read this text, what made him so righteous? How could a man who was going through so much, who was so brokenhearted, who had broken dreams, who, who, who no picket fence, right? No home sweet home, no cracker barrel rockers on the porch saying we did it. We, we, we made it to old age with one another. It, it was all over for him. And he said, I'm not going to take it out on Mary. What, what made him so special? What made him so righteous? And the only explanation I have is that I believe he was planted in the Word of God. That he knew the Word of God. And because he knew the Word of God, he knew that God would take care of him. Because he knew the Word of God, he knew that God is close to the brokenhearted. In fact, I think Joseph held on to a promise. We don't know which one, but I've got some guesses. I think he held on to a promise in the Psalms. And in fact, uh, Psalm 34 is the one that I believe he was holding on to in this moment. Remember, this is not just a Psalm. It's a Psalm of David, King David. But it's not just a Psalm of King David for Joseph. It's a Psalm of his great, 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 great granddad, David. The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all of their troubles. The Lord is close. Say close 
to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. I, I, I was reading and studying this psalm a few weeks ago, trying to come up with a good way for you to remember this and apply this. This is what I, this is what I do in these meetings is how do we make this memorable and how do we make this portable? That's the words I use all the time. It needs to be memorable where the people of God remember it tomorrow and on Wednesday, but it needs to be portable. It needs to go with them in their lives, right? It's got to have shoes on it. The fact that God is close to the brokenhearted, and it's not just when something breaks your heart, right? It can be anything that makes you feel broken. It can be anything that sets you off or gets you off track. And, and, and here's what we came up with. When life gets crazy, God gets close. Write that one down. When life gets crazy, God gets close. That's the promise. That's the lesson I want you to get. When, when things go crazy, when things get sideways, when life throws you a curveball, because it will. It's not a matter of if, it is when. There will be times when the pieces don't fit. When you're missing a piece at the end of the uh, assembly, when you shake the box and there's nothing there, when you feel broken, just remember God is close. In fact, he may be closer than he's ever been before. A crazy life is an indication of the closeness of your God. When you get that call at 2 a.m., you never dreamed that you would get God's close. When you have that tough conversation at work, God's close. When the market takes a plunge, but only in your sector, God's close. When the mail comes with that horrific nose, God is close. When the balance in your bank account is, is lower than the balance of your bills, God is close. Let those things be an alarm going off, a proximity alert of the only one who can help, your God. You're always on God's radar. He's always paying attention. But, but when we feel brokenhearted, the first thing we think is usually what? No one knows and no one cares. We feel so all alone, like no one else has ever gone through what we're going through. But the truth in that moment is God is watching and God is listening and God is drawing close. He cares about you and he understands you. But more than that, more than that, Jesus understands because he himself went through it. Hebrews 4 uh, verse 15 tells us, right? Jesus understands our weakness for he faced the very same things we face. He gets our broken heart because his heart was broken. He gets our frustrations because he was frustrated. He gets our feelings of weakness because he felt weak too. And in those moments, if we would just turn to him, we, we, we would, if we would just hear that proximity alert going off, that alarm ah, 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 sounding, that God is close. And God is near, and He is breaking into our world right then in that very moment, and He comes to rescue us. Back to that psalm. Look, look, look at what David says. The righteous, remember that's the very word referred to about Joseph. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to rescue them each time. And how are they rescued? The Lord comes to rescue them. Now underline that in your Bible. This is so incredibly important. And this is what ties this whole thing together. Your rescue comes from the Lord. Who is the Lord? The Lord is Jesus. The name Jesus literally means the Lord saves. He saves us from our troubles. He saves us from our problems. He saves us from the evil one. In fact, that word trouble literally means evil. He saves us from the evil one. Sometimes there's an evil intent behind your troubles. And when you feel brokenhearted, listen to me, every time it is an indication there is something wrong, but it is also a clear sign that God is near. 
and that he will save you. Now, let me just switch gears a little bit with that in mind, okay? I want you to keep all of that in mind, that God will save you from your troubles because the inquiring mind wants to know, why doesn't he save me before my troubles? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if you've never asked that question, you've never actually pondered what's happening in the world. Why doesn't God, in his infinite wisdom, in his omnipotent power, intervene so that we can avoid all of those troubles? And by the way, if you, you want a worship service in your heart and in your mind, just go down the road of the omnis, that he's omnipotent. Omni means always, right? Forever. Potent means power. He has all power, all power, all of it. He's omniscient, omniscience, all science. Science means knowledge. We live in a day and age where people are like, well, I I believe in science. Well, you should, but some science is wrong. You should believe in all science, all knowledge. God has all knowledge, right? He knows everything. Omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. He's present everywhere at all times. A few people a few weeks ago were like, Pastor, I just have to ask you the question. I'm afraid I'm about to outgive God. In this all-in thing, I just believe, I, I, I believe that, that I'm about to get out ahead of God. Let me just say to you, that is not possible. Well, I sense that God is leading me to do this. Okay, is he omnipotent? Does he have all power? Does he have all knowledge? And is he all places all, always? Then do what he says. Well, it doesn't make sense. Is he omnipotent? Is he omniscient and is he omnipresent? Are you following along with this? Listen, that's a worship service waiting to happen in your heart and in your mind. But, but if he's all of those omnis, why doesn't he save me before my trouble? What, what, what if you're troubled? By the way, I'm confessing something that was written in my margin years ago. God, why, why, why didn't you save me before that happened? And later I came back and wrote what I sensed the Holy Spirit was saying. Alex, what if your troubles and what if your brokenness and what if your broken dreams and your broken heart and condition, what if in some way that's a chance for others to be rescued? What, what, What if you going through some light momentary affliction, what if that meant someone else gets saved from their troubles. That's exactly where Joseph found himself, right? Go back to Matthew. Go back to Matthew, and let's, let's look at it. As he considered this, that is Joseph, okay? Let me remind you of the context. That's Joseph. As he considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit of God. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Are you following? Mary is pregnant. Mary will have the son. Joseph will name him and play some role in raising him. A part of that role is taking on the shame and the disgrace in that culture of raising a child that is not biologically your own child. He had to put all of his dreams on hold. He had to put his own plans on hold so that he could raise Jesus. She will have a son. You are to name him Jesus. And there's a third party here. This third party is his people. His people will be saved. You and Mary are going to go through this, but it will mean salvation for all of those who will follow God. You you should say amen there. 
Joseph's brokenness was not the intent of what God authored, but it was authorized by God to cause something great. Joseph's brokenness was used for the good of all mankind. That's the key, that it helps somebody else. And that's how God operates. That's his MO, to use our weakness, our brokenness, our powerlessness for the benefit of others. You may go through a messy divorce and now you, you, you can help someone else avoid that mess. You went through one and now you can help someone uh, not go through that or help someone as they walk through that, right? You get a cancer diagnosis. Now you can sit with people and pray with them while they're receiving chemotherapy. You lost a business and now you come alongside others and, and help them, uh, show them what not to do. This plays out in millions of different ways in our culture all of the time. And there's no other way to explain it, but this is how God works. And you may not love it, but what Christmas is all about is the fact that God has a way of fixing you by fixing others through you. That's how God laid it out. Matthew tells us in in, in verse 22, all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Again, that's Isaiah 7. Look, the virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son. This is the theology behind all of this. You back up a couple of verses and you see that Joseph was scared. The angel said, don't be uh, afraid, Joseph. Then he, then he said, the child that she is carrying within her is conceived or was conceived by the Holy Spirit. That's the theology behind all of this. And they will uh, call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let, let me show you my, my Bible again. Uh, Jesus, you are to name him Jesus. Later it says, and they will call him Emmanuel. I put a big question mark there. You say, you're questioning the scripture? Yes, of course. Because I don't understand it and I'm trying to figure it out. And God's not afraid of my questions. In fact, it's in my questions that he equips me to grow and then teach you. Which is it? Is he Jesus or is he Emmanuel? That's confusing. And by the way, the answer is found right here. You, Mary and Joseph, call him Jesus. Say it. They will call him Emmanuel. There's no conflict here. And you say, well, I I think there's conflict. He has two names. Were you here a few weeks ago? When I gave you 57 names for for Jesus? Emmanuel, God, God with us. Jesus, Yahweh saves. It's the intimacy of God. It's the intimacy of Christ. That's what this is all about. It's what Christmas is all about. Remember the point. When life gets crazy, God gets close. And Jesus' name, his other name listed here, Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus, Yahweh saves. Oh, I wish I had another hour. But we got three or four more parts in this series. Jesus means Yahweh saves. Is it okay if I back up a little? You got a few minutes? Yahweh. Where, where, where do we find that name? With Moses. Do you remember when Moses said, what's your name, God? And he gave him the name Y-H-W-H, Hebrew. Those, just like in English, are are consonants. 
In fact, it, 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 it may be news to you that there are no vowels in the Hebrew alphabet. There are places with marks and dots and tittles and jots and where, where, where you breathe. But there are no vowels in the Hebrew alphabet. But, but, but we're so vowel-driven uh, that we inserted an A and an E to make it Yahweh. But in a Hebrew culture, and a Hebrew mindset, by the way, they were afraid to say this name. They were afraid to spell it out because that would, might, might be disrespect. But when you take those consonant sounds, yeah, what, yeah, what, in, in the Hebrew concept, Yah is inhale. Is exhale. Now think about what God did with his name. What's the very first thing a baby does when it's born? Yahweh. In its very first breath, it's worship. The baby is saying the name of God. When we take a deep sigh, we're saying the name of God. When somebody gasps, it's a repetition of God's name. And what's the very last thing that all of us will do? Take our last breath. In and out, we say God's name. Every one of us. Every atheist, every agnostic, every Jew, every Muslim, every Buddhist, whoever and wherever you are, you are saying God's name when you breathe in and breathe out, even if you don't yet believe in God. This makes Philippians 2 come way alive, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. God took it further than that. With every breath you take, you will be declaring, I am the creator. And the name Jesus, it literally means Yahweh saves. And every time we sing a Christmas song, we're singing the song of Christmas. We're declaring by our very breath, by our very songs and words that God has taken what is broken and put it back together again. And he is close. That's what the incarnation is all about. Incarnation, that's just a big theological term that means God in the flesh. That he came and put on a human suit to be with us, to get close to us. Why? Because we were brokenhearted and God is close to the brokenhearted. And Joseph was not just brokenhearted, he was afraid. And what was God's response? Don't be afraid, why? Because he was going to fix him? No. Because he was going to pay Joseph back? No. Because he was going to be close to him. Emmanuel. Because he was going to save him. Jesus. Because he was going to breathe life into that situation. Th think of some of the times where God has breathed over your life. Just like with Adam, he took him and formed him together from the dust of the ground and then... Breathe life into him. He can do that for you. He, he, he can uh, take your marriage and breathe love into it. He can take your busy schedule and breathe life into it. He can take what's broken, even if some assembly is required, and bring healing into it. So church, I, I, I want to just take a moment as we enter this Christmas season. Would you just set your Bible and purse and everything down under your chair? 
And, and, and would you just close your eyes and bow your head? And as we go into this season, would you just take a moment and breathe? Breathe. Just take a deep breath. And take another one. And as you do it, would you think, Yahweh. At your own pace, I just want to give you a moment. I just want to give you a moment before we walk into the busyness of this season and ask you to breathe and worship the Lord. Yahweh. Worship Him. Worship Yahweh this morning.